Welcome to SLP Learning Series, a podcast series presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. The SLP Learning Series explores various topics of speech-language pathology. Each season dives deeper into a topic with a different host and guest who are leaders in the field. Some topics include stuttering, AAC, sports concussion, teletherapy, ethics, and more. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Now, come along with us as we look closer into the many topics of speech-language pathology. Hi, everyone. So, my name is Garrett Skudoroyama. Welcome. I'll be your speechtherapypd.com host for this mini podcast series, Conversations in Cultural Considerations. And today is the fifth installment and is called Therapy Across Time Zones, The Virtual Voyage of International Telepractice. It's an awesome title. I feel like I'm in a movie right now. And before we get started, just a few items to alert you to. This course is one hour and will be offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Financial disclosures. So we have, we each receive an honorarium from speechtherapypd.com. And Tara, I think maybe you have a couple of other disclosures. I do. I am the SIG 18 coordinator for ASHA. I guess that's technically more non-financial, not a paid position. But then I'm also the creator of the telepractice course. That's awesome. I'm going to have to take that course too. So just to introduce our lovely guest, Tara is a nationally certified SLP who owns and operates a private telepractice clinic in Colorado, focusing on social cognition, super interested in that, by the way, executive functioning, and the use of technology in therapy. And she's the co-founder and president of Hacking Autism and the creator of the telepractice course. She has worked with clients in, let's count them all, Illinois, California, Colorado, Rwanda, Thailand, Hong Kong, and the Philippines. Super incredible. Um, and in public schools and private practices and via telepractice. So all over doing everything. You're basically a superhero. So maybe can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what is your superhero origin story? How did you get involved in speech therapy? I was actually not a speech therapy major when I went to college. I was a deaf education major, but didn't take any deaf ed classes until my junior year and then panicked because I realized that was not where I was supposed to be. But thankfully at my university, the deafies, as we called each other, took classes with the speechies. And I sat in my very first language development course with, to this day, my absolute favorite professor and still mentored to this day. And I sat in that class and all the light bulbs went off and fireworks and called home and informed my parents I was switching majors and I was becoming a speech language pathologist. And there was like a momentary pause on the phone. And then I heard my mom go, oh, that makes so much sense. (laughs) So it was a good calling. I really thought I was still going to specialize in deaf and hearing impaired. That's where I really thought I would still go, just the speech therapy route. And yeah, went to the schools first, went and worked in the schools first and did that in quite a few different states, actually, as we moved around for my husband's career and my career and Mm -hmm. realized I didn't love being a generalist, that I wanted to really deep dive into stuff. So then I went and worked for a clinic that only specialized in one type of therapy and one curriculum. So I swung my pendulum way the other direction, did that and realized real quick, "Mm, nope, didn't like that either. But (laughs) then I also- 
sorry to cut you off. No, it's okay. you, what was that thing that they specialized in? What was that? Um, one? Only social cognition. Oh, okay. That's all it, they it. did was social cognition and the clinic, nothing else. Like even when I started getting passionate about executive functioning, wasn't allowed in the clinic. Only no, social cognition. You're cut off. Yep. And so I had a panic attack and an existential crisis and thought maybe I wasn't meant to be a speech language pathologist, but recovered from that quickly and realized, no, I just wasn't meant to have a boss. So I then decided to open up my own practice and now been doing that for 11 years and love it, love almost every aspect. You know, the whole billing and paperwork thing can get a little old sometimes, but overall, still really, really love having my own private practice. And actually, while I was at that specialized clinic is when I Got introduced at the exact same time to international work, as well as decided to take a leap of faith and try telepractice. And that was over 12 years ago now. So, yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting that you mentioned the, you know, getting into, I do still feel like it's great to have, you know, one area of expertise, a deep dive into something where you're really, you know, in Japan, they have the culture of apprenticeship where you like study with one person and you build one type of, or you make one type of pot for like 60 years and you're just super good at that thing. But I, you know, one thing that surprised me about being an SLP is there's so much room for what you can do. Even this, you know, I would have never expected to have been in the situation that I'm in now doing various things, working with different, you know, um, populations and, you know, different cultures and all that. And, you know, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of cases. Well, and how it all touches. Yeah, totally. How it all just kind of ends up like, I love social cognition. I still do tons of social cognition, but I started seeing how it intersected with executive functioning and it just, that made even more sense for my brain. And I couldn't separate them any longer. I needed to do them together, but just never saw this coming when I jumped into my master's program. (laughs) Yeah. And you realize how primary and a foundational communication is, right? Because it connects to everything. Everything we do is communication, you know, or at least the most important stuff, right? Connecting with people, you know, and all of those areas of communication really, really are so critical and and important. So you can do a lot in speech therapy. Yeah. So (laughs) I guess moving into where you are now, what was kind of, was there a spark that made you interested in doing telepractice or working abroad or how did that, so how did that come about? I had taken every opportunity that I'd had to work abroad over throughout college and even post-college. So I had done summer work, not speech therapy related, but I'd done summer work when I was in college in Jamaica, spent most of a summer in Jamaica working there. I Whoa. had my husband and I had gone and done some work at a college program in the Philippines. And that was actually, again, just kind of opening doors for me. When I was working at that specialized clinic, we would have families who would come in from other countries over the summer and would want really big intensives. So most families were just once or twice a week still all through summer. And these families wanted more intensive. And it was actually more of like almost like a intensive camp because these families would just be in the country for two weeks, four weeks, six weeks. And most of the therapists at the clinic really hated intensives. And I was the bottom of the pecking order because I was the brand new therapist at the clinic. And again, just interesting doors opening. A family was coming in. They're like, hey, you're the newbie. So you get the intensive. And a family was coming in for, I think it was like about five weeks. And they wanted like every day because they only had this much time. And they were flying in from the Philippines. And I was Mm. like, well... I've been there. I've been on the ground. I've worked there. Like, sure, let's dive in. And we had a fantastic five weeks. I'd also grown up working 
summer camps. My mom was a camp nurse. I'd been camp counselors, all these pieces. And so I just was like, this is fun. Like this is almost back to that deaf ed teacher side of me getting to plan a classroom and plan like a curriculum that could go every single day and be creative and all these pieces. And at the end of the five weeks, I remember vividly, we've had our last session out at a local playground and the mom is crying. The client is crying. I'm crying because they're like, Mm. we're heading back to the Philippines and we have nothing. Yeah. Like so much progress has happened in these five weeks and are we going to lose it all now? You know, like where will we be by next summer when we can come back? And Asha had already had never said we couldn't use telepractice, but Asha had kind of like had made some official statements just shortly before that about telepractice. And yes, like telepractice is an allowed method. And so I grew up in technology. My dad is in the tech world. My husband's in the tech world. So I was like, I don't know how to do this. Like I had this huge disclaimer, like I have never done this, but do we want to give it a try? And this family was willing to give it a try with me just in order to continue services. That client just went to college and I am still seeing her on a weekly basis, 12 years later. And I get to visit her in college in a month and a half and come see how she's doing in those pieces. So it's been, it was a really pivotal switch for me. It was funny because I said, well, I'm doing telepractice now, but I could never do this full time. I have okay. no in-person clients. I am full-time and 98% of my caseload is international. Right now, I only have two clients in the U.S. So this was way pre-pandemic. This oh, yes. Was, you were, I say you I was were... pre-COVID cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. What a crazy experience, too, to have. The only intensive experience I ever had was working in fluency. And, you know, it is interesting and different when you have the ability to see someone, you're almost like the architect of their life for that period of time, you know, and with, you know, distributed practice and, you know, all that research about, you know, how it's, it's better to do, you know, if you're practicing speech, for example, you want to do it every day versus like once a day for a really long time. Right. And, you know, when you have those 30 minute a week clients, an hour a week clients, and you're not able to get that carryover, you're not doing distributed practice, you're really not getting enough in if it's just you and the client right you're not Mm -hmm. getting enough in to make really you know a lot of change happening right you're not really laying down enough you're not changing the motor tracks and things like that to to create a new behavior and so having that experience and then also being like wow how do i help train the parents after right because they're going back home to nothing telepractice is seems like such a big bridge like an important thing to help create that environmental change right that's gonna affect the kids every day is there anything that you've learned kind of in telepractice have have there been i'm sure there's been great things and challenges and everything in between what has been kind of the biggest challenge for you moving Um, into the telepractice Ooh. <laughs> technology is always a challenge. It has a right. mind of its own some days. When I actually first started in the Philippines where my family was, there they didn't have high-speed internet. It was a satellite internet. <laughs> Typhoon season is a thing. <laughs> that was a learning lesson. Typhoon season would hit and satellite internet would, you know, we would lose connections right. real fast. And so we'd have to plan sessions around weather reports. You know, and I, I never, I didn't go into it like going, okay, well, I'm going to be an international teletherapist. I didn't even go into it being, I'm going to be a teletherapist. I have one telepractice client, you know, and then I had the rest of my in-person clients and moves and, you know, family dynamics, just things changed. And now international, I primarily specialize in Asia, which is what Garrett and I have really connected on. Just his experience overseas as well. 
And that's been a learning curve for me because I, well, I have been to some countries there for extended, you know, work visits and stuff. It's still been a huge jumping block for me when it comes to that cultural competency aspect of it. I have had to humble myself regularly as I learn and as my families learn alongside of me. And then I would say the other big learning curve has been licensing boards, (laughs) both here in the United States and overseas has been a constant, constant stressor, but also a huge learning curve and seeing even just what different countries prioritize when it comes to showing your expertise and achieving licenses and even making changes to licensing processes overseas when they didn't really take into consideration that somebody from the U.S. might want to license in their country and navigating the government and bureaucracies right. of those pieces. Right. It's so much. It's so much stuff. And it's funny how every country has their own really specific and idiosyncratic like processes. And that's one thing. So I'm working. My wife is Japanese and Malaysian talked about that before, but we're in the green card process of, you know, in the United States and just everything that's going on is like, yeah, this person has this form, but it's not the way that this, you know, country wants it. And it's like, it's a mess. Maybe for people that are wanting to work abroad in any of those places that you mentioned, is there any, any tips that you can give them about the specific licensure or getting around that in the different countries? Yeah. So the current guidelines are for U.S. therapists are you must be licensed where you sit at the time of the session and where the client sits at the time of the session. So home state, home country, et cetera, doesn't matter. You know, so that's a hard piece. So, you know, a part of if you've been in teletherapy at all, you know, the background, like it's really funny if I join a Zoom call and I'm not sitting here in my office, even if it's not related to speech therapy, if it's related to something else or volunteer work or something. It's so funny. People are like, where where are you, Tara? I'm used to seeing your bookshelves and I'm used to seeing the poster behind you, like those pieces. You know, where's your group? We're used to seeing your group in the background, you know? And so for me, I do the same thing for my clients. Like I know their backgrounds. I know the backgrounds of the vacation homes. I know the backgrounds of their actual homes. I know the backgrounds of grandma's house, you know? But there's also times where, you know, I've looked at the background and been like, "Mm, hi, Johnny, where are you right now? And I hear the parent going back, we're at Disney. We didn't leave the country. We're at Disney here uh-huh, in our country, uh-huh. you know, because I really educated them on the rules too of licensing and don't right. trouble with my license. So that's a hard piece to navigate is making sure I always know where my clients are sure. just for those licensing rules. I would say right now, run far, far away from Ireland and Philippines. Don't even attempt the licensing. I've been on the Philippines working on the Philippines license for over 18 months now. Today is the deadline and they ran out the clock. I did not get my Philippines license um, because they ran out the clock on me. Uh, Lots of wait and sees, lots of nope, you can't, lots of roadblocks there. So they're working on that process and I'm working with them closely with their licensing board, trying to change that process for out of country people. They just were not set up. For somebody international to be going through their licensing process. Hong Kong was wonderful. You know, I think they took a total of 36 hours. (laughs) And they were like, here you go. Have a wonderful day. Um, You know, even when it comes to states, like I warn people that there are just some states that are absolute headaches. Um, Hawaii, Mm -hmm. crazy easy. They were really easy. I think they're one of my easiest licenses. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people Colorado was my cheapest license, but beware. Cheap does not mean better because there's about (laughs) eight to 12 hours worth of paperwork you have to complete every time you renew. So be aware that um, I would rather much pay, I'd much rather pay more, you know, and have less paperwork in my humble opinion, because I think we pay like $12 right now, but Mm. that's a lot of paperwork to go with it. And it's, it's hard to navigate it and be aware 
I warn people this all the time. More licenses isn't actually better, especially while we're awaiting the interstate compact here in the U.S. Because- And what is that? The interstate compact here in the U.S., we have enough states signed on to it that it can happen. We're right now in a holding pattern um, because there's a couple more pieces they need just for security. You know, they need a centralized database to make sure, you know, SLPs don't have felonies or aren't losing license. Way to track those pieces because right now it's all very state controlled because here in the United States, states hold control. Like, you know, we don't have an overall arching, you know, yes, we have the U.S. government, but it's a very much, I mean, that's a lot of what the U.S. was based on was states being able to make decisions and laws for themselves. So the interstate compact, what it will do is will make it easier to get licenses across state lines. So right now it's quite a process because of how many licenses I own, including my international license when I go for a new license. So my latest one is Massachusetts. I just added Massachusetts to my collection. I joke, I collect licenses like some people collect Starbucks mugs. And with the Massachusetts license, they need a verification from every other license I held, not just US, every other one. So Hong Kong had to send them verification, California, Colorado, Hawaii, all had to send verification. That's why I say more is not necessarily better while we're waiting out this interstate compact because it complicates your paperwork for each new one that you go mm-hmm. um, go for. And the interstate compact, you will still have to pay a fee to be licensed. But if you are in a state that is a compact state, now here's the fun piece. Your yeah. state has to be signed onto the compact. Your home state, not a state that you hold a license in, but your home state has to be part of the compact. If your home state is part of the compact, then any other state that is part of the compact, you can literally go and just get permission to practice. It'll have a fee attached to it, but it's literally like just going into the compact being like, hi. So Colorado was a very early adopter of it. So hi, I'm a compact state. And let's say Virginia is working, you know, to get on into the compact right now. And I would like a Virginia license. And it's sure, here's your, they haven't decided on fees yet, but you know, $60, you can have your permission to practice. Boom, I'm done. That's the extent of it. It was actually really initiated for military families because the process can be so long to get licensing in each state that by the time a fam- by the time somebody gets their license to practice in the new state, they've been sent to another base in a completely never- another state. And it was really impacting a lot of military families. And some states had stipulations and a speed up process for military families, but not all. But that it was started well before 2020 and then 2020 and just this huge growth and tremendous growth in telepractice has made a significant shift. So that will make it easier. It will still make it more complicated internationally because some international licenses still want proof that you're in good standing and a list of all your licenses and those pieces. Sure. And that's, you know, so I always say pick wisely with your licenses. Don't just blindly go out and like, let's collect them all, you know, Pokemon, let's get, catch them all. Hey, don't, yeah. don't do that. Don't do that. Pick it really, don't get really wisely. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's just, it, it takes, a. it's already yeah. time consuming. It's cost consuming, but also it just, I mean, unless you've got a consistent client there or you've worked the time zones, that's where you're going to seek out clients. So for me, you know, a lot of people don't realize that Asia is like one time zone. Like all of China is one time zone. You know, they don't time change. Be aware of that when setting up your schedule, but they're all one time zone, you know? So for me, I, when I had clients in the Philippines, I don't any longer because of the licensing issue we've run into. But when I had clients in the Philippines and when I have, you know, I currently have clients in Hong Kong and stuff, that's all one time zone. So I can line everybody up on the same night. I play the time zones because of just my life. I work evenings. My Thursday and Friday nights are 
late into the night work nights for right, me, right. but that works for me and my lifestyle and my family's needs, those pieces. But you got, I work the time zones. So that's one way to pick your licenses, pick your license based on time zones that'll work for you and where you think you can get the clients that would benefit from you having those licenses and your services. Sure. Yeah. Have you noticed like in any of the different countries that you've, you've worked in, have you noticed that kind of the level of either need, maybe not need, but the level of knowledge about speech therapy, has it been roughly the same? Has it been different? Yeah. Um, hugely different, hugely different. And from a couple different pieces, one culturally how it's looked upon, I would say the majority of my family is in Hong Kong and formerly in the Philippines refer to me as tutor, a tutor, because it is culturally acceptable for your children to have tutors. It is not necessarily culturally acceptable for them to be needing speech language pathology services, like to the point in some of the countries I've worked in where that would actually impact dad's ability to get a promotion or mom's acceptance to a social club or a country club, those kinds of pieces, those equivalents over there. So the majority of the time I'm known as a tutor socially, that their kid has tutoring, you know, at that time, they can't do that at that time, those pieces. Because of what I work on, because that social cognition and executive functioning, I would say all of my clients have average to above average IQ and average to slightly below average language skills. So they come across culturally unexpected because mm. people see them and they're, you know, they could talk about the biology or, you know, they can get these great SAT scores, but they're really struggling to stay organized to behave in expected ways that work culturally. And so for a lot of the families that I've worked on, it's been a lot of education in the fact that no, it's not poor parenting, you know, which is what they're being told culturally. So it's been a lot of education for the parents. It's a lot of mental health piece for the parents to understand that they haven't completely screwed up their child. Mm -hmm. There's something else going on here. Mm -hmm. And even for the child, to really build the self-awareness of like what their strengths are and that everyone has needs and work those pieces just because of the area I work in, you know, a lot of the families, they can't get the services there because as much many of us know, there's a shortage of SLPs worldwide, like 100% every country, no country have I ever found. It's like, we've got more than enough SLPs. We're good, you know, but the SLPs in a lot of these countries are completely swamped by the much higher, much more obvious needs, you know, the kids with multiple handicaps, the kids with extreme artic, apraxia, language delays, those pieces, they don't have the space, the room to really focus in on the executive functioning, social cognition piece of my clients with ADHD and autism and, you know, minor TBIs, those kinds of diagnoses instead. So families are yeah. kind of seeking out that information, but it's also very hush hush in many of the countries that I work in. Like I get my referrals because a mom sees a kid who resembles what their kids struggled with and comes up to the mom is like, Hey, I feel, I feel almost yeah. like the black market SLP, you know, Hey, I've got somebody like, let me send you a link, these kinds right. of pieces. But just because it's such a huge cultural impact and just because these like amazing countries, these amazing, you know, services and amazing resources and stuff, it's just culturally still not necessarily acceptable. Right. in a lot of ways. And that's been a piece for me to kind of understand in order to understand really how to support both the parents and the kids to understand that. Whereas my U S clients are absolutely having social impacts based on these needs. They're not necessarily impacts that are going to impact promotions and acceptance to different right. leagues and acceptance, to even different schools, those pieces as much as it is for my clients overseas. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have seen that as well. 
in Japan, you know, and I think things are changing. It seems like there's definitely a trend towards what's going on in the US, for example. I was wondering, you know, you're talking about working with like social cognition and working with the different cultures. How do you approach that, you know, as when there are so many things that are going on in the family, you know, there are th different things culturally. Is there other foundational principles that apply, you know, universally? What kind of frameworks do you go from to work with social cognition for? One, I humble myself regularly. <laughs> you know, I ask a lot of questions. You, I admit when I don't know things, you know, it is very, very common for in one of my countries that I work in that the families all have staff in the home, you know, people who cook, people clean, people who watch the children, you know, they have helpers in the home. And, you know, I, I've had requests before of like, Hey, can you, he's not treating the helpers, right? Can you work on kind of the social rules around that? No, because I've never had that, but I can sit down and be like, Hey, I think we need to have a parent therapist meeting. And every one of my sessions ends with a parent therapist meeting. Anyways, I require that. But, you know, let's have a separate one, you know, where can you go over what you expect, like what is expected and what's unexpected and why. And it's been a big learning curve for me. I joke that people would be completely confused by my news feed, you know, because I pay really close attention to the news in the countries where my clients are. I pay very close attention to the weather oh, where my clients are. I pay very close yeah. attention to, you know, even main social media, you know, you know, some people are like, hey, dramas, like, hey, if this is what my clients are finding for entertainment... I need to understand what they're watching for entertainment, where they're getting ideas from. Same as in the U.S. culture here, where everyone's watching TikTok, you know, and the kids are all getting their ideas from there. Where are my clients feeding this? Where are all their peers looking and watching and doing so that we can talk about like, okay, but I hate that. Well, I understand it. You can hate it. And we can still watch an episode to understand what our peers are doing to understand that socially, because you could say you hate it, but we need to watch an episode to discuss why you hate it and why maybe your peers like it. So you have that language in your conversations, those pieces. So I joke that a lot of actually my work happens outside of the session of just paying mm -hmm. attention to these pieces of soaking up these pieces of watching YouTube channels of people touring around the areas where my clients live. So I know what it looks like. So I know what traffic looks like. So I know what you know, the supermarkets or the stores look like, you know, so I have this information. So I have this picture in my head to really understand how to support my clients and how to ask questions constantly, you know, and a lot of work in social cognition is asking questions. It's on asking what they understand. It's asking like what they perceive. It's getting them to do a lot of legwork. So it's really me supporting them in figuring the pieces out because I'm not doing social skills. I don't want to tell them like, I want you to walk into the supermarket this week and say hi to three strangers. It's not what we're doing. We're doing more of like, but what are the unwritten rules in the classroom? Yeah. What are the unwritten rules at the Lantern Festival next week? Like what would be, you know, what are people doing? What are not people doing? How are people gathering? Like, how do you know that that group's open to you joining? And those rules can be completely different than what I've seen here in the U.S. And it's investigative work not only for this client, but it's investigative work for their parents too. It's getting their parents to see those situations different so they can prime their kids for what they're walking into. So they know how to facilitate those conversations as to what's the schedule, what's the plan, what we're going to be doing, what do you think is going to happen there? How loud do you think right. it's going to be if we have sensory needs? Yeah. So a lot of it is more of me getting the client and the family just to think and see things differently to provide That's that support. so cool. Yeah, yeah. It's the cultural grammar, right? Like, you know, I think about this when you talk to, this is a bit of an analogy, but when you talk to a, a native speaker, for example, like 
as I've been learning Japanese and stuff like that, it's like you, it's not like the native speaker knows the grammar rules. They're not like, oh, you use this, you know, conjugation for this thing. It's like they have to do, say the thing in their head and they're like, oh no, this one's right. You know, so most native speak, even in English, you know, when you, even though you take grammar and stuff when you're a kid, you don't really remember a lot of those things. And then you kind of figure out those patterns later if something goes wrong so that you can restructure it and follow those rules. But everything's like, you know, invisible and hard. And so getting that reframe, you know, for these parents to see what are the invisible rules, the unwritten rules like you're talking about within, you know, this one situation, Lantern Festival. I like how specific you got, which actually my, yeah, some, one of my friends is going to a Lantern Festival in Thailand in a couple of weeks. But so finding out, like getting the parents to think, and this is, you know, a lot of the really cool part about telepractice too, is that you're not creating like a dependency on you. The parents are like, you know, they have an active role and, you know, obviously you're doing all this amazing back work, which shout outs to you, by the way, I don't even watch TikTok. So I'm like <laughs> way out of the loop for a lot of my kids. But anyway, like you have the, the access, so amazing, scary thing to see these cultural events and like find out what's going on and then showing the parents how to reframe and look at the event differently such that they're seeing these invisible, you know, cultural grammatical rules that are happening. And that's really like the place of, you know, teaching someone to fish versus, you know, giving them fish, right? Like, because once they do that, that like unlocks, I'm sure it unlocks a bunch of different doors. And I've seen that, you know, maybe not for this stuff, but at least for language, like when I, when I get a parent to really, I have them do empathy assignments sometimes where like they have to learn something, like learn how to speak in an accent and then come back, you know, see how, what did you have to do to do that? Like what now you can think, what is your kid doing when they're learning a language? You know? So just getting that little reframe, I feel like is, is such a beautiful part of one, a beautiful kind of perk of teletherapy and telepractice. And then number two, it's also something that crosses cultural boundaries because you're no longer the one that's looking at the thing, you know, mm -hmm. you're just exploring with the parent and the parent is then saying, then having the, you know, metacognitive ability to look at what's going on and then find the patterns themselves. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. And that's seeing, fantastic. Yeah. and seeing where their kids aren't necessarily being supported, you know, like the kid will get right. a note home from school that says they're a mess. And the parents like, great, you need to work on this. They're being a mess. I was like, what does mess mean? Like, is this physically themselves in class? They're just falling apart. Or is their desk a mess? Is their backpack a mess? Is their cubby a mess? Like, what does mess mean? And getting the parents to back go, I don't know. And so the parents going back to the teacher going, right. what does a mess mean? You know, and really digging till they are confident with the answer. And then coming back. And it's so often interesting how much the parents come back. And they were immediately like, just culturally like, can't be a mess, like, you know, respect your teachers, et cetera. And then having the parents come back and go, that teacher's a mess. Like the teacher didn't even realize, like, <laughs> couldn't explain it, you know, or this kind of thing. So I really went in and advocated for Johnny, you know, and we, we shifted a bunch of stuff and I got him to put the picture up like you had taught us in the locker and these, you know, getting the parents to even start to realize that like, there's nothing wrong culturally, but understanding even what that means culturally to almost be interpreters between their children and the adults and children in their environment. And yeah, like you were saying, like have that almost empathy lesson of, I don't 
No, like the parents having that moment of, I don't know, I need to figure out, right? Because your kid's not going to be able to figure out because there's social cognition, executive functioning needs. So we got to figure out how to interpret this together. And it's been really nice. Like you said, it's a huge core of my entire practice is not giving them fish, teaching everyone how to fish because I'm not always going to be there. Like, look, Philippines has now said no for the licensing progress. It literally expires, expired today yesterday for the Philippines since it's tomorrow in the Philippines now, you know? And so it's like, okay, until the Philippines figures this out, it's time for you to go fishing. Yeah. You've got this. Believe in you. Yeah. And that's like that. Sometimes that's the most powerful thing when you have been there for somebody and you kind of give them that, you know, that little word of encouragement, like, Hey, you got this. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I've seen you do it. I've seen you do it in session. When you leave that room, for, you know, transformation, like it's so powerful for a client. And, you know, it's, I've been thinking a little bit about what was I thinking about? I just had a brain meltdown. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's, that's so critical. You know, so when, as you, you've been kind of, oh, I remember what I was, what I was thinking about. (laughs) So like a lot of times, like you're saying with the mess thing, like, what does that mean? You know? A lot of times you meet new clients and, you know, there's definitely a difference in in some really have it. They've done all their homework and they like know all the terms and like everything like that. A lot of times it's like, you know, if this is wrong with my kid and it's something very general, like, you know, it could be something like that. They're a mess, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then the whole process of, of doing therapy is kind of like this slowly specifying what that means. Well, what do you mean by mess? You know, and then like go, okay, well maybe it's is it related to articulation? Is their speech messy or is it a language thing? Is it something like, is their prosody weird? Are they not standing are they standing too close to people? Are is their voice too loud sometimes? Like what does this mess mean? You mm-hmm. know? And then you slowly go through this and you have to go through this long process of, you know, it takes a very, very long time. But once you break down those walls and you start to specify, you get clearer and clearer and clearer about Mm -hmm. what the actual problem is. Then a solution emerges in it. I think it's clear to the parents as well. When you like get a parent that's like mess, like fix, and then you just go in and work with the kid and the parent's not involved, you know, you don't get that same level of of clarity. You know, the problem's still muddy after. And, you know, maybe you you do help a little bit, but it's like uh, it definitely not to the degree that you would if they're always working on those things and the parents are then on board. Well, I think culturally, too, learning how to not use speeches, you know, we've got all our language articulation. Is it a phonology issue? Is it a fluency issue? Is it, you know, parents like, I don't know, learning how to interpret it and not just interpret it in Colorado ease. Like what language am I learning is bigger in these other countries that often indicates they're one of mine, you know, and, you know, culturally, what are these parents hearing as descriptors for their kids? And if that word is coming up, like, okay, I know which path we're on. I think I know, you know, there's still a couple divergence turns off this path, but let's head down this path because, oh, you know, their teachers and their tutors are calling them lazy. Okay. I know which direction we're heading right now, you know? Oh, I'm hearing disrespectful. Okay, I know which where we're doing, you know? All these pieces, you know, and often it's, it's terrible, but sometimes just because culturally it looks different, but especially for my needs, they're very hidden. 
executive functioning and social cognition is not necessarily like can't understand a word they're saying, you know, instead it comes out in these behaviors that are unexpected. The parents don't expect for their age or teachers don't expect for their age, those pieces, you know? And so knowing the language that the parents are hearing to describe their kids to know, okay, I know which direction we're heading. And it's different. It's different by country for me as to what language is being used for me to go, okay, this is executive functioning. Oh, okay. Yep. This is social cognition. Oh, you might be looking at oppositional defiance or you might looking at, be looking at demand avoidance. Okay. I, I'm starting to see which, where we're going, you know, but it's important. I find so often that it's easy for us to switch into speeches or it's easy for us to use the language that maybe we're hearing where we're located mm-hmm. and needing to really listen closely to the language that's being used culturally where they are yeah. to describe the kid and knowing that that might yeah. have a different meaning than what I'm yeah, seeing here. I mean, totally. lazy in Hong Kong. I'm like, that kid still speaks three language. That kid's still getting <laughs> across the board. That kid's like, it's still in four sports and you know, all these pieces. Like I, what do you mean? Like, I can't see lazy, but lazy by my Colorado U S standards is very different than what normal is for their peers and being able to understand and see what normal is over there. Right. Versus here, like there's a lot of pieces to take into consideration when you're working with different cultures. Yeah, absolutely. What an interesting piece too. Maybe can you speak a little bit more to the the language component? And I think maybe this goes in two directions. One is like, you know, when you don't have either fluent English speakers or it's a different dialect of English. And then secondly, you know, because I've noticed this too with regards to the language of the place that they're living. It's like speech therapy has its own ways of talking about itself, let's say, in different areas that you're in. And sometimes when you don't hit those keywords that the parents are looking for, they like, there's the, this, not this trust that's built. It's almost like they're, they're looking to see if you're on the same team with them, you know, <laughs> and using common language is like a way to join their team. So I don't know which one of those things is. <laughs> more relevant, but maybe can you speak more to either of those things? Yeah, I think kind of both. I think it's kind of twofold. I'll get to the second one in a minute because it's a little more of an obscure kind of way around it. But the main one is, yeah, again, I think it comes from knowing culturally what's normal there, which again, when it comes from YouTube and from news articles and from social media and pieces like that, seeing what's a normal interaction, interactions from between kids and adults, between adults and adults, like those pieces, like really understanding what's normal and not assuming like I consider myself a decently intelligent individual and I have to be very careful. I don't assume I know what a new client is talking about just because I understand the words they're saying. Mm. Constantly, constantly mm. asking for clarification of what do you mean by that? Leaving it really open, not yes, no questions, but what do you mean by that? Do you have an example? You know, can you tell me what that would look like? You know, can you explain it further for me? Those pieces, but leaving this open ended for them to to search out those words. Also knowing not even just where families live, but where they're from. Just because a bunch of families are in Hong Kong, very few of my families are actually from Hong Kong. Many of them are coming in from other countries. They're there for work. They're there for our, you know, university positions or guest positions and, you know, very elite businesses, like my families are amazing. And I love hearing about their lives and stuff, but understanding those pieces, understanding where they're from, not just where they are, because that's going to change the cultural references. And that's going to change even their understanding of the culture where they're at, 
but also what they're coming from and what their understanding is from there from. You know, all my clients speak English, you know, if not as a first language, as a second language, and they speak English very, very well, which is how I work with them because, you know, my foreign language through college was ASL because I was going into deaf education, you know? So, but having that English, but even where that English is coming from, what where that exposure is from, you know, English in the Philippines is very different than English here, which is very different than English in Hong Kong, you know, or English in any of these other countries, right? Exactly. It's, it's different. It's here. It's more formal here. It's more casual. Here's where they learned it from. Here's where they're coming from. Knowing the profession of the parents I found is very important in my conversations with them. You know, it is not uncommon. And I do not mean this in any derogatory way, but it's not uncommon for dads to yell at me. I have had to learn how to get much tougher skin it is not because they're angry at me. They're very frustrated with the situation they're in. They're hurting because they see their kid is struggling. Their kid is struggling, which is now impacting the career of the parent. There's a lot of frustrations there. And it is culturally where that father's from is very important for me to understand that just because they're yelling at me, if a dad were to yell at me from one of my Colorado clients, I'd be like, whoa, I really made him angry. I really messed up. Doesn't necessarily mean that. And I need to understand culturally where that's coming from. Oh, that dad is from Kiev. Oh, that dad is from Germany. This is not him angry. This is him showing me how important this is. And I need to hear this differently. You know, okay, well, you're in Hong Kong, but you were raised in the Philippines. You learned English in the Philippines at an international school there. You went off to Stanford and got, you know, advanced degrees there. Now you're back in Hong Kong. So you have some American culture there, but you also have where you learned your English and where you established your morals and your ethical code. Now you're in Hong Kong. You're also trying to navigate this as well. This is not natural for you. And now you're trying to help a kid who's also struggling to navigate it. So how can I help everyone in figuring out how to navigate this together and equipping everyone here? And there's just so many aspects there. Another aspect, that number two piece that I said is a little more obscure, is I am super, super passionate that if you're going to be licensed in another country, that you also join their speech language pathology organization. Because we need to be supporting the SLPs on the ground, and those SLPs on the ground are going to be such a fantastic resource for you. They're there. They're living in that culture. They're having that experience. One, they're fantastic references too, because they're like, mm -hmm. you know, I've got, <laughs> I've got 120 kids on my caseload. You can absolutely have Johnny. Here you go. Kind of piece. Right. But they're a great place for people to touch base. The SLPs or, you know, any of like the social workers or psychs inside these international schools. They've been fantastic resources for me when I'm like, I'm struggling. I do not understand how to support them in this. And I've had so many of them go, let me explain what that would look like here. Let me explain what that experience would be like here. Also, I don't want to be going into all these other countries and I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to go in with a scarcity mindset and I don't want to give another therapist a scarcity mindset of, hi, coming in as the American SLP to rescue all these kids and take them away from you. Mm -hmm. I want to see the profession of speech language pathology grow across the world. I want to see the standards raised. I want to see the effectiveness of these SLPs. I want to equip them. You know, if there's a call for, you know, speakers in an online webinar for one of my international, you know, I'm there, I'm signing up for it. Like I would love to speak. I would love to share what I'm doing. I'd love to share where to get more information on executive functioning or social cognition or technology, you know, in therapy, those pieces. Like I would love to share what I know. If there are webinars, I'm attending them. I'm listening to them, you know, because I want to know 
what you all are working on there, what you're seeing there, what your experience as an SLP in that country is, and how can we have a two-way street here? Because there's no way I'm coming in to rescue these kids or to, you know, save a country that's in dire. My country doesn't have enough SLPs. No country has enough SLPs. So how do we work here as a time as a team? And how do I support you on the ground there and the extremely important and valuable work you're doing? there while also serving my clients. And I see so often that people go in and they don't even know what's going on with the SLP organization or the big changes that are happening or the elections that are happening or changes in certification, or, you know, there's a big push for this. Like, look, I can't help you in the swallowing, but I know some fantastic SLPs in the swallowing world. So let me see if they'd be willing to speak at your next conference because I don't do pediatric feeding. That's not what I do. Oh my gosh. But my best friend over here does. You know, I'll put you in contact with her. Same thing. Like, hey, is there any man on the ground who can help me with this? You know, oh, yes. You want to talk to the SLP over at the hospital in the main city on that island over there? Great. Like, put me in touch. You know, I've already reached out to Garrett once since we started chatting. I'm like, hey, do you have anybody for this? Like, I need resources for this. And I think that's so important. I think we live in a global world and being connected to these SLP organizations is saying, hey, I believe in you. I know what you're doing is good work. I'm here is my money to support whatever you are working on. Let me learn from you, what you all have discovered, what you all are doing there, like the amazing things that are happening there, which also gives me cultural competencies for my clients, but also I want to make sure I am supporting SLPs everywhere. Right. So, you know, it's like, I think maybe people are listening are like, wow, like this is, this is incredible. It's a mission. I love the mission. That's a lot. It's monumental. Like there's so much we just talked about, you know, when you're going to a different country, you know. You have to, like you're saying, it, it is a learning experience. You know, you have to humble yourself along the way. But, you know, like you're having to figure out, you know, cultural stuff by going online and, and finding groups and, you know, finding content from that place. And you're talking to, to families and you're talking to kids and you're having to kind of navigate through different cultural barriers and walls. Like, wow, monumental task. But you don't have to do it alone, like you're saying. Like you don't have to go it alone. There are people, you know, even us reach out to to us as well. Yeah. But like, you know, the therapists on the ground there have this whole network mm-hmm. and and you're kind of you're joining a new network and what an exciting adventure, you know, at the same time. Like, wow, this is a lot. But for people that want an adventure, like diving into any new place and trying to figure out how to help is a huge adventure and one that's like you're saying, so important for people. Like every country has, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. If you're intentional with it, it almost becomes a second language for you. Mm. So like, look, I moved, you know, I went to college on the East coast. I'm from Illinois originally. It was really weird for me to go to California because Mm. I I would have my students in the schools saying, teacher Tara, Miss Tara, have you ever gone to the snow? I lived in Illinois and on the East coast. The snow came to you. <laughs> you yeah. didn't go anywhere. You just opened your front door and went, ah, I'm shoveling the walk again, you know, and snow sat around for months in Illinois, you know, lake effect snow. It's a thing, right. you know, and that, that was, a, that was like a very small window of me going, huh, that's interesting. Like that's a different experience. So many of my kids had never touched snow. They could see it up in the distance, up in the mountains, but they'd never actually like gone to the snow kind of piece, you know, which is not an experience I had had growing up in a completely just different part of the same country. I think it was a very huge blessing for me that for so long, I only worked in the Philippines. And so mm-hmm. I got to really learn these, this second language of learning a different culture. Mm-hmm. And as much work as, mm-hmm. I mean, 
you say you're learning Japanese right now. That's not something you just do for 10 minutes on a Friday at the end of the day of work and you make a gigantic amount of progress. I mean, this is a consistent thing. This is a part you have to adopt into your lifestyle. You know, yeah, like you said, yeah, it's a lot, but for me, it's not extra any longer. It's been 12 years of learning these other cultures. So for me, it's like, all right, new country, new license, roll up our sleeves. Here we go. Are there things I don't know about the Philippines after working there for 12 years by telepractice? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But there's a lot I do know. And I do know what my favorite Filipino food is. And I know so much, you know, about the downtown and how things have changed and, you know, big upgrades that are happening. You know, I know all these different cool pieces about all these different countries. Like I'm so excited to one day get to go back to the Philippines again, to get to Hong Kong the first time, you know, and, and to have these experiences. But it becomes a second language when you decide that that's important, that those cultural competencies are important. It becomes just a part of your week. You know, it is not abnormal for me to be before I sign on with my clients to check what's the weather this week. Wow, they've had been having some major flooding in Hong Kong. So my kids come on. I was like, this was school canceled. Yeah, it was canceled. That's important to my clients that I know that their weather's been bad and that maybe school was canceled this week. I know a typhoon is coming through the Philippines. So sending a quick message to the parents being like, hey, I see the typhoon. Just let me know you're okay when things happen. Like that says, hey, we're important. What's happening in our country is important. Hey, there's a big election coming up. I know that that can be a really stressful in the Philippines. Elections are extremely stressful there, you know? December in the Philippines is epic when it comes to Christmas. Like, it is parties every night. It is festivals. It's all these pieces. So knowing that, hey, we might need to be a little more flexible when our sessions are because culturally this is so important. And, you know, they're going to be going to these places like, oh, absolutely. Send me a picture. Like, I would love to see how the lights that they put up on the Capitol this year, like knowing these pieces is not just important for me to respect them culturally, but for them to see that they're important. They're not a face on the screen. They're important. So when it just becomes a lifestyle, when you, when you log in, when you're setting up your system and you're going through and checking the weather, when you're checking the biggest news items for the parents, because the parents, oh, they seemed really distant. Oh, they weren't engaged today. Well, why? Well, look what's going on right now in their country. Like many people don't realize that Hong Kong was locked down into 2022. These families into 2022 were still in lockdown. Many of us barely survived 2020 in lockdown, much less into 2022. People don't realize that in spring of 2022, some of my areas in Hong Kong, they were taking the pets out of the home and euthanizing them in the streets because they still believed that the pets could spread COVID between homes. As late as 2022, these are the stresses my families are going through. My families are hiding in their homes, not going getting the tests, claiming flu because they're terrified of losing their cats and dogs. Like these are things that are important for us to know if we're their therapists to know that, you know, I encourage the moms. I was like, hey, here's what we're going to do. For the parent therapist meeting, you're going to grab your coffee. You're going to grab your pastry. You're going to go to the parking deck. You're going to call me from the car. Why? Because guess what? It's peace. It's quiet. It's a moment to take a breath. It's a moment for me to go at the beginning of the parent meeting. Hey, before we even talk, I want you to just take three deep breaths. I cannot imagine how stressful this is right now. I cannot imagine still being in your shoes. So take a minute and then we can talk about what you need to talk about right now kind of those pieces and having that moment and having that respect for completely different experiences and completely different places in time and in processes. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And how, what a, I think, you know, what a blessing for the parents to, to have such a, a caring therapist as yourself, who's, who's willing to put in that extra work and, and really, you know, 
think about all of these things and, and consider their feelings. And, and then, you know, also a cool thing on the flip side is like, you know, we are talking about like how much, how much is going on, how much you have to do to be practicing in different countries. But it's also like, like you're saying, when you make it a part of your day, it's kind of exciting. Like as we've gotten more digital and as we've gone more, you know, kind of locked in our computers in a way, we're also like more global. And if you intentionally kind of add those things into your day, you can really have a, a bigger world, a wider world that's a, uh, yeah, that can help you know what's going on and, and connect with more people ultimately be better at communication. And expanding the world of my even community, like having conversations, it gives you such, I mean, I'm working in social cognition. I need to have perspective of different people working in social yeah. cognition across the country, across the world, you know, and to be able to bring that into conversations when people are talking about something that's just happening in Colorado, being able to go, right. But what's happening in Colorado, let's talk about the fact that families are still getting two, three-day Amazon deliveries in Hong Kong, but they can't get fresh fruit in their markets right now. Let's let's talk about this different experience here and this bigger global perspective. And I mean, I know for a fact that just being able to have those conversations, not anything HIPAA violation, just culturally having these different understandings has grown my kids' worlds, has grown my husband's world, has grown my community's world here. Being able to offer this up in conversation and have a new perspective or have a different perspective than maybe somebody who's always lived in Colorado their whole life and doesn't have that contact point, being able to make these really big connections for people and build a different level of curiosity by having these, just this different perspective. And, you know, the world feels so much bigger and yet there's so much we can connect on. That's exactly the same when working across all these borders. Shout outs to making worlds bigger. Definitely always a good thing. I think when we when we start to open up and and open up more and more, you see kind of the common humanity start to, to peek in. Like you're saying, like when you're working in social cognition, even if you are teaching to fish, like those metacognitive principles, let's say, of learning how to, to see the invisible stuff that's going on, that's universal, definitely. You know, everyone follows certain rules, whether they know it or not. <laughs> and so figuring those out and being able to, to follow them and go into different cultures and be part of that community is yeah, wow, such a skill and such a cool skill that you can learn too. <laughs> I'm talking about the audience here. Yes. Uh, if you start to, to practice with different, you know, countries and, and cultures. So we're nearing the end of our time. And I just wanted to check in to see if there's any other, maybe any stories that you have that you'd like to share. I, Knew that there was a box for questions, but I don't know that I've seen any. So uh, I think Catherine sent something. Thank you for the specific examples and being of how you make sure you're being culturally respectful. You do amazing work. That's for sure. Do you have a website, Tara? Yes. So <laughs> the cobbler's children have no shoes. There's a cultural reference there, an old cultural reference. My husband's. A web analyst and web designer. So, <laughs> so the telepracticecourse.com has my courses and it's constantly being upgraded. We're working on some new ones too, including the ones I've done at ASHA the past couple of years, the ASHA convention on international telepractice and examples of the licensure processes in different countries and countries I recommend, countries I don't recommend at this point in time, um, changes that are happening with the MRA and how that's negatively kind of impacting some of our connections with some countries, pieces like that. So, 
Thetelepractice.com probably has the most information. I'm also known out there on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, those pieces as Speechy Keen SLP. So I'm out there and I'm sharing a lot of information, a lot usually on Instagram of just the different experiences and the different processes and different things I've learned in my session and those pieces. So I will share those two in the chat too. Thank you. Yeah. Any, I'm just wondering maybe something to end it. I don't know if you have, you can take this any way you want, but have you kind of had any, I loved that story, you know, of being with your first client, having the intensive and then just spending, you know, now seeing her off to college. Any other stories that have been meaningful to you as someone practicing in different countries um, through telepractice? Any stories that have kind of stuck with you? Last month, I was up in Washington State visiting my sister and her children, my nieces and nephew. And it was totally one of those flukes again just asking questions about experiences for my clients. And one of my clients was like, we got tickets to see Taylor Swift. And I was like, that's awesome. I didn't know her tour was going to Asia. And they were like, oh, no, no, we're flying to the U.S. And I was like, really? That's exciting. You know, she was having tours everywhere, you know. And so I was like, where at? We were going to miss each I'm going to cry, Garrett. Look at you. You got me all misty eye. We were going to miss each other. If I hadn't asked the question, we were going to miss each other by one day in Washington. So I delayed my flight. And I went downtown Seattle, Washington, and clients I'd never been able to hug. Parents I'd walked through COVID lockdowns with showed up. Like they were flying in from Canada where they were on vacation. They were flying in from California where they're on vacation. They're flying in straight in from Hong Kong and the Philippines. And I got to sit there and hug them. I got to go shopping as they picked up their clothes for their concert. I got to, you know, sit and eat lunch with them and be there face to face with them for the first time for many of these families, including my client of 12 years, who I have seen in person quite a few times, but hadn't seen recently. And she graduated from high school and I got to hug her and just tell her face to face in person, how proud I was of her, of how well she did and her acceptance to college and how excited I was to come see her this fall at college and those pieces. And to have that experience of people you'd only seen 2D and kids you've been through lockdowns and virtual school and all these pieces with to then get to see them in person and be like, you did it. Like you've done so fantastic. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm a firm believer. I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. And I am a firm, firm believer of affirming in my clients and affirming in my parents of like, hey, you are amazing. And if you changed nothing, all the work we've done, if you changed nothing else about yourself, I would still think you are an amazing human being. And to get to say that face-to-face to these moms who went through two years of lockdowns and through these kids who missed so much during these lockdowns across Asia, and to be able to sit there and look at them in the eye and tell them face-to-face and hug them and wish them the best Taylor Swift concert ever and those pieces was just one of those moments where I was like, this, this is why I do what I do. Ah, wow. So heartwarming. That's amazing. I can't think of a better place to end. (laughs) Tara, you're incredible. You're a pioneer. You have such a big heart and it really, you know, it's just, it's been so moving and heartwarming talking to you about telepractice and also I've learned so much. So just thank you so much for sharing with us. And, you know, I think maybe you mentioned it here where people can find you anywhere, anywhere else that you want to share, like social media. Is it okay if people follow you and, and things like that? Absolutely. It's Speechy Keen SLP on Instagram. It's Speechy Keen SLP on Facebook. 
It's on SP on Twitter. That is just who I am. SpeechyKeenSLP.com is just kind of my more of my personal therapy page. And then, like I said, the telepracticecourse.com is where all my courses go up when I put out a new webinar or anything like that. If you just search my name, my last name is extremely unique. It's pronounced rail. It's German. Don't ask me to explain, <laughs> but you'll find some YouTubes. I did a lot during COVID for reading with TLC and lesson picks and places like that. Just talking more about telepractice and activities I do in telepractice and more of like that functional side of pieces. But there's also a ton of that in the crash course. And then the full telepractice course has over 20 hours of videos and content wow. in it of just amazing things I do and things I love over things I've found that work over 12 plus years of doing this. And then if you're part of SIG 18, I'm in there as coordinator currently. So, and then I'll be at the, speaking at the ASHA convention as well in November on disruptive oh, technologies. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. So anyone coming to ASHA, say what's up to, to Tara. Please do. I'd love um, to meet you. And yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. And it's been wonderful to talk. Keep in touch. Hopefully we can chat again sometime. Absolutely. I'd love it. Okay. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Are you taking advantage of our new amazing feature? The certificate tracker. The free CE tracker allows you to keep track of all of your CEUs, whether they are earned with us at speechtherapypd.com or through another provider. Simply upload your certificate to your registered account and you're all set. So come join the fastest growing CE provider, speechtherapypd.com. Thanks for joining us at SLP Learning Series. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. If you like this and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word SLP Learn for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today.